biggest games. The biggest events. Wow, the crowd is on their feet. The biggest stories. This is what you signed up for, Seth. I thought it was just in the game. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the ESPN Esports Podcast. I'm Rachel Good, and I'm joined by Jacob Wolf on the desk today. And we have Tyler joining us as a full-time podcast member. Applause. Yeah. <laughs> oh, even the fake applause. Way to go, Tarika. <laughs> SFX. You can't, you can't hear Tarika behind the desk unless she turns on her mic, so I guess the, she can just make noises and, and bells and claps. And I'm going to be called the silent assassin only because I went to Orlando and my voice is completely shot. Wait, did you go to Disney? I went to Disney for a day, but for the most part, I was doing adult things with adult beverages that did, did clearly you, take my voice oh, away. Did you go to Universal? I went to Universal, but yes. not for the rides, just for CityWalk. Ah, uh, okay. that's uh, good enough. Controversial opinion, uh, particularly because of who our employer is, but Universal is better than Disney uh, as a theme park. So Okay, as... Okay, with the rides, yes, but Disney as a theme park and their customer service is just so beyond Universal. At Universal, they true. don't care about you. That's true. They do not care about you, but the rides are cool. Um, I, I went for two days when I went down there a couple weeks ago. Rachel and I went at the same time, but not together, so it was it was a little convenient, I guess. Um, but yeah, that was fun. So yeah, Universal sure. was good. Also, Dole Whip, which is like it adds ten points to everything Disney does. Yeah, and I mean, if you're if you are of age, drinking around the world at Epcot is a thing too. So yeah, that's true. Of course, we have Pierce on today. Most of you might know him as Zero Smash Four Coach. Pierce, how you doing? All is well. Thanks for having me. How's everybody doing? We're doing great. well. How how was your uh, Atlanta experience? Uh, <laughs> rough weekend. <laughs> rough weekend. DreamHack was a great event. You know, I got to meet a lot of people. I met with a lot of friends. I love DreamHack because it brings a bunch of different esports together, and I love connecting with the other communities. Obviously, uh, our performance this past weekend was a, a little bit lackluster compared to how we usually perform. So we're just looking forward to SmashCon. A lot of preparation going on now. Right. I do. I do have one one question for you before we kind of dive into to the big part. What What are your thoughts Shoot. on Atlanta? You've been to MomoCon. You've been to DreamHack uh, Atlanta. What are your thoughts on Atlanta as an esports city? Do you like having esports events there? I definitely think Atlanta is a super fun city, super cool. I enjoyed my time in the city itself, uh, both at MomoCon, as you mentioned, and then here at DreamHack ATL. And all the people, you know, that, that preached Southern hospitality is so true. I, I consider myself to be a pretty courteous guy. And I felt so rude because every single time I would walk past the person, they would say hello or good morning, like every single person. I was like, wow, this is ridiculous. So uh, it's definitely awesome in that regard that the people there are so nice. Obviously, the convention center there is, uh, I believe it's the largest convention center on the entire East Coast. Uh, So the venue is definitely suitable. In terms of population, uh, ATL shows up. They definitely had tons of attendees from MomoCon. I don't know if you were there, but uh, it was packed out the house. DreamHack was also very successful. Uh, Metrics-wise, you know, numerically, I heard it did even better than Austin, which I thought was also a phenomenal event. So I'm definitely excited to see more events happening in Atlanta. I met a bunch of fun people. I'm looking for more reasons to go back. So I hope that we flood Atlanta with esports. So the background, uh, for those unfamiliar, I, I grew up in the, the city. I grew up in Atlanta. Um, I believe that it is, uh, thanks to people like Turner Sports who host E-League in their Atlanta studio, I believe that Atlanta has a, a really good culture for esports. 
Uh, unfortunately, yeah. a lot of the major developers, uh, from everything I have heard from talking to sources and, and people there, uh, they're not very confident in Atlanta as a city. I know Atlanta was part of the discussion two years ago for uh, MSI uh, that was eventually in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, when Tawatrashi, in that case, uh, there was one restaurant that was open until 3 a.m. after the event. We're um, sorry for the pe- the one person listening who's from Tallahassee. And the one, the one person that went in, in this call. Um, I was here. I was wait, there too. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was that was terrible. They should they should have had it in Atlanta. Um, and honestly, the the fact that Blizzard and, and Riot kind of ignore that city, despite uh, Atlanta sports, uh, the, the city is just invested in three uh, arena renovations. Between Sun uh, SunTrust Park, um, the Mercedes Benz Stadium, and Phillips Arena, which to be remodeled in the next few years, in the last like ten right. years, so sports are clearly important in that city. I believe esports will be a two with DreamHack Atlanta and, and obviously E League having packed houses. So come on, major developers! Like if the little guys can can get as many people as DreamHack and and Turner have, not to call Turner little, but if they can do it, then so can you. Meanwhile, Tyler's like a <clears throat> Los Angeles. <clears throat> Tyler gets everything. You know what, Tyler? You get to go to every single every single West Coast event. So you you it's can so just unfair. you can just give us one. Like, <laughs> just give us one on the East Coast. Three hundred dollars. I think uh, I think if you give them time, they'll come around. Because as you mentioned, they're doing a lot of development in Atlanta. I mean, just exploring the city. I saw all around the place. They're doing renovations, remodeling, and just doing the city big ways. So I think uh, if you give it time, more people will catch on to the esports idea. It's continued to grow, but not everybody's convinced yet. But I mean, you and I know that. Given enough time, this is going to be the biggest thing. It's called the new Hollywood for a reason. So is it uh, right. really? Yeah, because because Hollywood? there's a lot of there's a lot of films and television shows that are filmed there all the time. Walking Dead was filmed yeah. five minutes away from my house, my childhood oh, house. Garbage show. I don't disagree, but you it's will still. never Ooh. do Walking Dead that way. Dude, I, just I, I will too. I will too. Dude, um, in season one, they had still. a character named T Dog. No full name, just T Dog, and then he died. T Dog. That, that's one of those things that all of my high school friends like. Our, our high school classmates, some of them which I don't necessarily like, uh, are very obsessed with that show. So I see Facebook posts all the damn time, and so I'm really sick of it. Um, so yeah, Ooh. my opinion. Pierce, Tyler, I, don't I, worry I, about anything that no was opinion. said. Don't worry about anything that was said before that. I am editing out that entire <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Please do not. Please do not. Um, so I'll, I'll let you read right, from here. So, That's my rant. <laughs> all right. So moving into things, all three, or excuse me, all four of us returned from Evo almost two weeks ago. Well, actually it feels like a long time ago. Um, it does. Kind of. We've been busy since Evo. We moved quick. <laughs> and some <laughs> of us have esports. not slept. Uh, J- Jacob <laughs> says as he points to himself in the studio. <laughs> and, um, I think one of the mo- more interesting conversations floating around in Evo was the topic of mid-set coaching, which is basically when a coach is allowed to um, come in during the middle of a set sort of coaches players' mentality, gameplay, tell them what he's doing wrong, what he's doing right, etc., uh, which is why we have Pierce on the show today. Um, <laughs> so the podcast is going to be a little different. Um, it's definitely going to be a little more debate-styled. So I want to start off with our opening statements. Uh, Tyler, why don't you start us off? When it comes to mid-set coaching in general, I I don't see any issues with it. I think people are living the past somewhat in Smash and the FGC. I think it's because it's been away for so long that people aren't realizing that having mid-set coaching, having coaching overall is going to up the game's you know ability. You want to see the best games possible. You want to see the most strategic games possible. And I think that's just how 
it's going to go in the SEC smash melee for all that stuff. I equated a lot to tennis. I mean, you have tennis coaches that do help during games. I mean, it's it just it's the natural evolution of esports. Okay, Jacob, your opening statement. So I see both sides of the argument, um, and for those that aren't familiar with why this came up at Evo, uh, it came up because during a match, which I saw side stage, um, essentially Hungrybox and SFAT were playing one another, and uh, it was after pools, and Evo has a rule across all nine games that after pools you are not allowed to have mid-set coaching. Um, and what happened was uh, Crunch, who is Hungrybox's coach that is an employee of Liquid, um, he came on stage and mid-set coached, and as a joke, a, another, uh, a, another friend of SFAT's uh, came on stage and pretended to mid-set coach and kind of trolled, um, and as a result of that, uh, but it, the match stood um, as the equal result, which was a hungry box win, uh, despite um, the SFAT thing being a troll. Um, so the kind of some of the conversation that was around all of this was um, essentially the fact that um, you know what if what if a random person walks up on stage like during the the top eight and just tries to give Armada advice like unsolicited like does that mean he got mid set coaching like what does he have to do stiff arm the guy like I, like how do you get around it so um, I like what Tyler was saying about tennis uh, I think that the best comparison I can make is boxing and MMA. Um, that they also have rounds. Uh, they have rounds in comparison to how series have uh, or sets have games. Um, there is coaching in between those rounds. Um, and a lot of it, what people don't realize, it's not, there is, and Pierce, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, some of it is gameplay, but from the, a lot of the people I've talk, talked to, a lot of it's mentality. Like a lot of these players, uh, Hungrybox is a good example. He's someone I know really well. Uh, he has a terrible attitude when he, he takes a rough loss. And Crunch's biggest role is just getting him out of his own head. And so um, I think it's beneficial because we we see a lot of the mentality problems corrected from some of these players so they can essentially bounce back and play at their best possible skill level. Uh, but I see the other argument that it's unfair to someone that does not have a coach. Right. Okay. And now, Pierce, your opening statement. Um, so obviously, due to the position I'm in, I'm extremely biased uh, in favor of mid-set coaching. Um, but having reviewed it and analyzed it as objectively as possible, because I've had a hand in setting rules in Smash in the past, and I've also had experience coaching before my recent Entourage with Zero. So uh, I find that in the past, I've actually voted and then executed a ban on mid-set coaching uh, back in the Super Smash Bros. Brawl days, um, because at the time it was unregulated, and unregulated mid-set coaching is not good. But I think based on the rules that currently exist uh, in the common Smash rule set, I think the mid-set coaching is very healthy for the game. Uh, as Tyler mentioned, it pushes forward the metagame. It helps you see higher level matches. And I think that's uh, one of the, the, the major reasons I'm a big proponent of it. And the other reason is because it pushes forward Smash as an eSport as a whole. Um, when you add more agents, more factors into the match, and uh, when you develop the game in a further way, where more tools and resources are being provided to the players to enhance the match, what it does is it helps to legitimize your eSport and it helps to push forward your industry. It shows, hey, listen, there's more roles that you can participate in besides just being a player. Uh, and there's more ways to express Smash knowledge besides just uh, executing on the sticks. So for those reasons, I'm much in favor of inside coaching. And I think that uh, well, as time goes along, people are going to... 
start acknowledging uh, that mid-tech coaching actually has a healthy impact on the game. A lot of the times when I hear arguments against mid-tech coaching and examples against coaching, uh, they're just factually incorrect and people just drawing things that are not true and, and putting them on the table. Uh, for example, once there was a, a Reddit post where somebody complained there was a match zero versus Ken. At a tournament I was not even at, I believe it was Armstaga, and someone complained because uh, they believe Zero called a timeout so that he could receive coaching against Ken, who he ended up beating in the set. But in actuality, uh, it was Ken, or perhaps another player from Japan, I'm not sure, but it was that player who uh, was the one who even called out called the timeout in the first place and called up Renai uh, to try and get some adaptation against Zero, who didn't even have a coach ready at the event. And his friend, who has to coach him, which was XX, um, didn't even give him any meaningful advice whatsoever. He was just basically like, hey, you're winning, dude. Keep it up. Good job. Uh, you don't really need me. I wasn't even watching the games. So a lot of these these biases that people have against coaching uh, just actually don't hold up in actual practice of coaching. So when I look at the positive impacts that it has currently, the positive impacts that I anticipate it having in the future, and the suggested negative impacts which don't even exist, it makes me in favor of mid-set coaching. All right. Um, this was kind of a surprise because I honestly thought that the majority of our group would be against mid-set coaching. Um, but it's interesting hearing both sides of the argument so far. Uh, Pierce, I wanted to ask you, what kind of precedent does mid-set coaching set for the future? I mean, it's a term you've used before. How, how do we go from unregulated to regulated? Because right now it seems very experimental in a way. Like, what do you think is that missing step? Uh, I don't know if I would say there's even a missing step. I think... The missing step is not within coaching, but it's within tournament structure. Um, earlier, somebody mentioned, well, uh, they made a joke regarding the Hungry Box incident at Evo. What if somebody just runs up on stage and starts coaching Armada and this, that, and the other? And, you know, would that cause a, a DQ for Armada? And, and this was a very popular joke that runs around. Every time somebody gets an infraction for coaching, this joke always resurfaces. Um, and to that, I think the problem is in tournament structure. Uh, and this is not necessarily a coaching issue, uh, so I'm not going to stick on the topic for too long, but it is somewhat related because it leads into other issues as well in that when high-profile matches are going on, there is not an isolation between the players and the audience or the rest of the competitors. Uh, so there are many ways that people can interfere with a match that it's not just getting them disqualified by a TO who is, of course, going to make, you know, a, uh, an objective and meaningful ruling. They're not just going to, you know, just follow, oh, somebody ran up on stage and now I'm just going to DQ this player. You know, that's not how it works. Um, but the fact that players are unprotected from interference from the audience in any regard has always been a major problem. It, you know, here's another example. Uh, during Zero's pools matches, I actually deliberately stand in the most objective place to minimize the number of people that can physically touch him because this way he doesn't get disrupted during a match because he always has players crowd around him during his pools matches uh, because they're just at stations just like every other player. And sometimes people bump into his chair, this, that, and the other, and, and players don't want to be worried about their possessions getting bumped and things like this. So just having these high-profile matches um, or not a, a pools match is not a high profile match, but having these kinds of matches in the middle of uh, in the middle of just the venue and where things are unregulated, it kind of you know creates an, a pressure in an environment where lots of things can happen. And so, basically, coaching during a a match 
where you have an incident like the hungry box incident where they said, Oh, they couldn't find a, a TO or a pool captain or a judge or an adjudicator or anything of the sort to deal with the situation at the time. This is a common and reoccurring and similar related issue. That's not really a coaching issue. It's really like a tournament structure issue. Um, but I can go on about that forever, but it's a little bit off topic. So uh, just a little off topic as well, but to follow up what you just talked about, um, you, you talked about, and I've seen you do this, stand behind zero, stand next to him. So nobody bumps into him. Uh, I think one thing that could have solved the whole hungry box debacle at Evo would be event security uh, being side stage and not allowing people to run up on stage when players are there. And I think that this is a problem in the FCC that that pairs hand in hand with access to players. I understand that uh, the fighting game community has a lot of concern about being too in quotes esports, as a lot of them would like to say, but just very commercialized. I guess is the best way to explain what they're talking about. Um, like some of their some of their esports brethren in League of Legends and Counter Strike and and Dota Two, which have the giant arenas. But over the last right. um, over the last few year or over the last year, really, we've seen some incidents that really required event security. Um, at Combo Breaker this year, I was watching Street Fighter Top Eight, and Chris G had some random person come on come up on stage and try to give him some encouragement um, after a tough tough loss. And and no one stopped them. Like, there was security at Combo Breaker, but they were just people in the community with security shirts, as much as I love the guys that were were security, in quotes. Um, and then even at last year at Evo, Chris G is, like, the most unlucky person ever. Uh, he had a dude run up on stage mid-Mandalay Bay, post-Marvel, and challenge him to a set of Marvel until he beat him. Uh, and everybody's kind of memed this guy as the, the ghost of Marvel. Um, so I, I, think, I think that there is this need for event security, um, where they're either side stage or during pools, they're near the big players, so there isn't a chance for anyone to disrupt them. All right. That perfectly segues into my next segment. I did not make up the name of this segment, by the way. This was something pitched to me <laughs> by the higher-ups at ESPN. They told me to name it Rachel Rages. I do uh, not okay. know where they get this idea that I'm a rager. Maybe maybe your League of Legends games, but that's a different They story. haven't even played with me yet. Oh, Some my of us goodness. has. All right. So you can have all the opinions you want about SSA and Hungrybox at Evo, or um, in your case, what was the name of the event that you went to? Sorry. Christy, a combo breaker in Evo? Yes, combo breaker. All right. The fact of the matter is, people are able to run onto stages with no repercussions. Someone was able to interrupt a match, and someone was able to walk right past security. I mean, I was there. You were there. We were all there. We saw the security guards lined up against the doors leading into Evo, but we didn't see any security near the stage. Evo, step up your f- game seriously step up your security because i don't give a if you're trying to create an intimate space for your fgc community that is to me like that is just total if you want your scene to grow you need to start setting standards in place to protect your players it literally just takes one wrong person to come up and seriously injure one of the players that's it and they didn't they didn't even bag check the first few days of the event um exactly they had all those rules and didn't employ any of them and, and unfortunately, I've had this discussion with a lot of TOs. Is it really going to take something tragic before this like issue is resolved? Is it going to take a player getting stabbed or shot like before somebody actually does something? Because that's terrifying. Yes. Yes. To be honest, to, to be honest, the answer is yes. It should not so, be now, that way. Now, I, I know this is going to this is going to sound really crazy, right? Because uh, I don't know if you guys know, but I'm a person who, before this past Evo, has openly spoken against Evo uh, on many other topics and issues. Um, but I'm actually going to have to say, like, I don't necessarily know that that's something that's Evo's 
fault per se or something that's within Evo's control. To what level can I continue to hold Evo responsible for things that are very difficult to control and regulate? If you have players that are on a stage, um, yes, you might have stage security, but stage security is not in place necessarily to protect the, the players. Stage security is in place to make sure that your production goes uninterfered. Because at the end of the day, if someone shows up at a massive event, be it Evo or any other type of event, uh, where there's hundreds or thousands of participants in question, it could be DreamHack, it could be Combo Breaker, Evo, anything. Uh, at the end of the day, it's really easy for that person to just cause massive havoc once they get past the front door security. And it's not that hard to get past front door security because thousands of people are entering that event. So okay. all they have to do is get a pass. So you could say, okay, step up your security and you have the stage protected. So what does that protect? Two players and maybe some people that are working on production. But there's still thousands of unprotected people in the venue and something tragic can happen. God bless. There was a Pokemon event a couple months back. I'm, I'm sure that you caught wind of this where there was somebody uh, or a group of people that tried to cause havoc. And there were many, many young children at this event because of a competitive Pokemon event, um, and they showed up armed. Unfortunately, security was able to uh, isolate them and nullify the threat before anything bad happened. Um, but that's not stage security. You know, that's main security, and that happened, and they weren't able to get access inside of the venue, which is why the, uh, the attack was shut down before it really happened. But these kinds of scary, tragic things can happen anywhere. That's not an Evo-specific issue, and that's not even an FGC-specific issue. Uh, that's just the nature of bad people who want to do bad things with an increase in technology that enables them to do so. So security at any event where you have tons of people be it a tournament or a concert or anything, is obviously very, very important. Um, but I'm not going to roast Evo for, you know, not having a stage security guard. Also, you have to consider this, too. At any given point, you might have celebrated players on the stage. But unlike at a concert, those celebrated players don't just exist on the stage and then immediately go backstage. Those, if, if somebody is a target at a tournament, right? Let's say we have a high profile player like Zero or like Hungrybox or something like that. And they're a target at a tournament. There's plenty of time to approach this person when they're not near the stage at all. So then what did the stage security do for you then? The only thing stage security does for you really is prevent somebody from getting to you while you're on stage. But again, that doesn't necessarily protect the person. That simply protects the production. If we're talking about protecting the people here and uh, making sure there's not interference, then uh, it's going to be your main security, your front door security that are going to do most of the work. But the fact of the matter is there are other ways to prevent that kind of stuff besides using security guards. You can have barriers. You can have gates. Like, there's just so many other options. More ESPN yeah. Esports in a moment. But first, we'd like to hear from you. Whether you're new to the podcast or have been listening for some time, we'd like to know how we're doing. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review. And if you like what you hear, make sure you're subscribed so we're easy to find next time. And if you subscribe in the ESPN app, we can send you an alert whenever we have a new episode. And you can always tweet us your thoughts at ESPN underscore esports. And we're back with the ESPN esports podcast. Tyler, you've been pretty quiet up until now. Do you have any thoughts on security and Evo or security and events in general? I think, I mean, it's common sense, right? I mean, you want to protect the players, but Evo is a gigantic tournament. And like Pierre said, it's not like a concert. Or it's not even like League of Legends. In League of Legends, the players have a backstage area. They have a player lounge. It's very easy for them to not be in the public eye and not in, you know, in danger. At Evo, you're at a gigantic, for at least the first two days, you're at a gigantic uh, convention hall. 
And most of the pool games are, you know, smack dab in the middle of the convention hall surrounded by people. So unless you want to hire a thousand security guards to patrol the entire place, keep, I mean, it's just, you have to trust. And I understand what you're saying, Rachel, you should have security or maybe a gate. So you don't have crazy people jumping on stage, you know, challenge people to money matches. Dude, (laughs) steal one of those barriers on Las Vegas Boulevard. There's like so many of them just lying around that we're not using. And my, my small counterpoint is I would rather have tournaments as someone who has competed in these tournaments before and paid the fees. I'd rather have tournaments where we have a higher venue fee or a higher entry fee but better security for the safety of the players than cheap entry tournaments with thousands of people. And maybe that makes it where, like, a few thousand people get left out, which sucks, because um, that, that hurts the heart of the FGC. But, like, we cannot afford a top player to be injured, like that, especially if fatally injured. So it's, like, it, it's ridiculous. Okay, well, uh, if you're going to make that point, then what I'll follow up on that is I don't think that open tournaments should be restricted by huge entry fees, but I do think that the primary competitive format should not be open tournaments. This is something I've been saying for a long time. I don't disagree. Um, like, if if you look at other events, right? Um, yeah, but if you look at other sports, mainstream sports and other esports, the major events, you either have to qualify for or they're part of a league or a circuit. Um, and in this regard, when you have celebrated players, they are able to be in isolation so that they don't have to be in the midst of the crowd all of the time because they are the ones who are performing. You know, if you want to build a sport, you have to acknowledge that the game you're playing is being done for the entertainment of others. Uh, That's what it means to be a sport. You know, two people can play any game competitively at a high level, but it's not a sport until people are watching. There's an audience. And then once this happens, then you're going to have your skillful players that are going to be the ones who are celebrated. Those are going to be your athletes, and those are going to be the ones that everybody has attention on. They're the ones that are going to be in the spotlight. And this is what attracts, uh, obviously, the attention and, you know, the danger in some senses. Fortunately, there hasn't been too much danger, but this is where all, all the attention goes. When you look at League of Legends, you look at Counter-Strike, you look at all of these uh, mainstream esports, you have isolated areas where the players exist that's not in the audience. And this one, it allows the players to actually move about the event freely and get to where they need to go, do what they need to do without the interference of the crowd. Um, And two, it is obviously much safer for the players being celebrated features. So, and, and three, it also creates a better production too, right? Because you don't have random people that are on the stage on your streamed matches you don't have low-level matches. It just creates a better production overall for countless numbers of reasons. I'm not even going to go into them all. So I think that what we need to do is we need to figure out a, a better format for our primary uh, form of competition that's not just open tournaments. I definitely am not pioneering for open tournaments to go away. As you mentioned, open tournaments are the lifeblood of the FGC and Smash communities. And uh, I, I love it when all players can come out and they can participate and you know, everybody has a, a shot at becoming a champion. But I also think that as we are developing into an esport, it's uh, it's definitely time to start looking for other competitive structures and other competitive formats uh, that we need to start exploring because it can. That's the next step to enhancing our scene, in my personal opinion. And there are already two fighting game tournaments that have that have done this, and that would be uh, 
Unless we want to include Pokin, which is a different story. Uh, but if high-level fighting game tournaments, the Injustice 2 World Championship will be based off of open events and circuits uh, at these open events. And Capcom Cup is obviously the older one that has mm-hmm. been around for a while. It's invite-based off the points you get. So it's not an unheard-of topic in the esports and FGC and uh, Smash communities. Um and I'm okay with some of the Smash Invitationals we've seen recently, like the yeah. the, the Yahoo Smash Invitational a few months ago, the Red Bull one that's coming up soon. Um, I'm fine with that. Like, uh, and then it's, you have it's perfectly other okay. closed events too, like uh, Battle of the Five Gods and Summit yep. and things yep. like this. So those are extremely well received events. And, and I know it it isolates the the you know a thousand people that enter that are are not as high profile as some of the others and don't have the chance of placements. But rarely do we see anyone new kind of just, like, come out of the woodwork and, and place in the top of a tournament. It happens a little in Smash because of travel. Uh, there's a lot of issues with, like, some of the Japanese players getting over to the U.S. for these big tournaments, and right. they only come, like, once or twice a year, and then they do well. A lot of people in Japan don't know who those good players are. They could be invited to something. Um, but, it like, it's—I understand both arguments for and against it. And, frankly, like, I think, I think there should be tournaments— that just, like as Pierce said, just are invite-only and only invite the best players. Tyler, what are your thoughts? I actually, I mean, I agree with Pierce and Jacob. I think relegated tournaments and having a a structure is good going forward. I I think there always should be a few tournaments where it has, you know, that that dream of, you know, you can enter, you're you're a nobody, you have the chance to play zero in your, you know, first pool in, in the you know, 0.001 chance you win. It's, you know, it's it's amazing. And it happened a lot in StarCraft 2 where someone, uh, Scarlet, she won an online tournament, uh, got flown to Las Vegas for IPL 5, I believe, or IPL 4, and she upset two Koreans in the open bracket, which was at the time considered one of the most, like, amazing upsets in StarCraft history that this random female from Canada who no one had heard of came out of nowhere and beat, you know, two Korean players in StarCraft, which is Korea's game. That's phenomenal, people, yeah. I, I don't care if uh, StarCraft 2 didn't do well in Korea. It's still <laughs> Korea's game. And I think that magic still needs to be there in a few tournaments. Evo might be one of them. But I think if you want to have a world championship at the end of the year, I think having a structure and having invites and having, you know, that – is important for Smash 4, Melee, and whatever fighting game tournament wants to be up there with Street, Street Fighter 5 because we've seen the success of the Capcom Pro Tour and how much money those players are making nowadays. All right, well, I think that's a good way to wrap things up because we're all out of time right now. That's it for our podcast today. I know it was supposed to be a debate-styled podcast about mid-set coaching, but... It's a whole lot of raging. <laughs> we had a... <laughs> We had a very productive discussion about event security and esports structure change, which I think is just as, if not more, important. Um, for more esports news and features, check out ESPN.com slash esports, or you can follow us on Twitter at Rachel Yonggu, at Jacob and Wolf, at Fionn on Fire, and at Pierce7D. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Esports Podcast.